This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Today, we have back Rachel Bridwell. Rachel, we see a lot of sore throats in the ED, and lots of these aren't dangerous. But there are some needles that we need to find in the haystack of pharyngitis. Today, we have potentially one of those needles. Rachel, why don't we kick this off with a case? A 15-year-old male presents to the pediatric ED for worsening sore throat and fever for five days. He complains of right-sided throat pain, a dynophagia, and a muffled voice. He has no complaints otherwise and is an up-to-date on his vaccination. Exam reveals a blood pressure of 110 over 74, a heart rate of 110, a respiratory rate of 19, and a temp of 102.6 oral, satting 97% on room air. He appears uncomfortable and is sitting upright. You notice trismus, a swollen right tonsil, an erythematous and elevated soft palate, and a uvula deviated towards the left tonsil. This sounds like definitely not just your normal sniffles. With that history and exam, I'm really thinking this is a peritonsular abscess or a PTA. Can you tell us a little bit about the risk factors and organisms that we're going to see in PTAs? While this isn't super common, it is the most common deep neck infection in kids and teens. Risk factors include recurrent tonsillitis, partially treated tonsillitis episodes following multiple antibiotics, and smoking. Usually polymicrobial, the predominant bacteria includes group A strep, strep anginosis, Staph aureus, including MRSA, Fusobacterium, Prevotella, and Villanella. How do these patients present, and what should we look for to differentiate them from the run-of-the-mill sore throat patients that we see almost every day? Aside from sore throat, these patients will have fever, a dynophagia, and a muffled hot potato voice, or ha 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 While trismus is something we often look for, it only occurs in two-thirds of patients, so its absence should not exclude the diagnosis. These patients may also have neck swelling, and pain in the ipsilateral ear. That trismus pearl is super helpful so we don't write these patients off simply because there is no trismus. What should we look for on our exams? First, assess ABCs and vital sign abnormalities since the PTA has the potential to be an airway obstruction. Patients exhibiting posturing, inability to handle oral secretions, or toxic appearance should be monitored continuously while the emergent airway interventions are prepared. Especially in these critically ill and toxic-appearing PTA patients with airway compromise, consider all adjuncts and difficult airway equipment, such as an LMA, video laryngoscopy, bougie, ambiscope, and awake intubation equipment, as well as consultants such as ENT, anesthesia, and surgery to call for help if needed. Difficult airway includes cricothyrotomy, as well as mobilizing surgery for a bedside percutaneous tracheostomy. This is also not the time to underestimate the difficulty of an airway, so call for your friends and equipment early. If their airway is not imminently in danger, perform a thorough examination and avoid anchoring on the obvious swollen peritonsillar region. Especially in younger kids, pulmonary exam may reflect the degree of airway obstruction based on the work of breathing or use of accessory muscles. Often, the abscess collects in the superior pole of the tonsil. This will show a unilateral swelling uh, with an erythematous elevated soft palate and an edematous uvula deviated towards the unaffected tonsil, plus or minus any cervical lymphadenopathy. Fun and terrifying fact. Abscesses can still occur after tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy as a peripharyngeal abscess, though this is less common than a PTA. Thus, do not rule out an abscess in the same region where tonsils or tonsils simply used to be just because the patient has had a TNA. So even the post-tonsillectomy kids can have a PTA. That's absolutely frightening. I think for most patients, PTA is going to be a clinical diagnosis. 
but there are those subtle cases where it's not always easy to see that deviation. What imaging tests can we use to diagnose PTA, and when should we really consider these? Ultrasound can be performed at the bedside. The endocavitary probe for intraoral ultrasound may provide the best view of the PTA, but you can also use the linear high-frequency probe with a submandibular approach if the patient can't tolerate the endocavitary ultrasound. Intraoral ultrasound is rapid and has a sensitivity of 89 to 100% and a specificity of 100%, but there are physical limitations such as gagging and trismus as well as operator use and sensitivity. The linear high-frequency probe presents a less uncomfortable option, but has a sensitivity of 80 to 91% and a specificity of 80 to 93%. CT is the gold standard with a sensitivity of 100%, but requires supine positioning, which some patients may not tolerate. While not necessary to make the clinical diagnosis of the PTA, imaging can confirm the diagnosis, better visualize the location and complexity of the abscess, and distinguish from other deep space infections or retro or peripharyngeal abscesses. Additionally, CT may identify rare but deadly intracranial ICA aneurysms, which mimic PTAs and are often catastrophically identified on an attempted drainage. That sounds like something I definitely want to avoid. But Rachel, we really haven't mentioned labs yet. Can labs help us in any way in our evaluation? Yes, a surgeon may not think the patient is sick until they see a leukocytosis. I'm kidding, our surgeons are wonderful. Though a clinical diagnosis, ordering serum electrolytes if decreased PO intake, and a gram stain in culture may help determine choice of antibiotics later. Gram stain in culture rarely changes initial management, but may help guide antimicrobial therapy in patients with complicated, extensive infection, those not improving on empiric or pharyngeal coverage, or in the immunocompromised. Let's get to treatment. What does this actually entail, and how do we treat the abscess portion? There are two techniques for drainage. There's needle aspiration, or an incision and drainage. I do recommend looking at the EM Docs Unlocking Common ED Procedures post to see this in more detail. The needle aspiration may be less painful, with a lower need to hospitalize in comparison to incision and drainage. After all equipment is set up, the bottom half of a speculum or laryngoscope blade can be held by the patient to displace the tongue inferiorly and free up the operator. The patient should be sitting upright. The initial aspiration site should be the superior pole of the peritonsillar tissue, and then, if unsuccessful, proceed inferiorly. Advance the needle in a sagittal plane to avoid aspirating the internal carotid artery, which is the feared complication. Since the internal carotid artery lies 2 to 2.5 centimeters posterior lateral to the palatine tonsil, a needle guard, by cutting off 1 centimeter of the plastic sheath, can provide a safeguard to prevent aspirating too laterally. Incision and drainage also provides another option, though is more painful with more bleeding. Especially if an abscess pocket is identified, the operator can make a one centimeter long incision following the orientation of the arch of the swollen tonsil from medial to lateral in a hockey stick shape. Then spread the pocket with hemostats to break up septations or use a Yankauer tip to gently apply pressure around the incision site. Leave the hole open for drainage later. Patients with an IND must be observed to ensure the tolerance of PO antibiotics, pain medications, and liquids. Otherwise, they likely require hospitalization. If you're discharging patients after an incision and drainage, please provide them with cotton-tipped applicators and instruct the patient to insert the cotton-tipped applicators inside the incision site to prevent premature closure. This serves in lieu of packing or a vascular loop, which is likely not tolerated in this region. Great summary of the drainage portion, but what about antibiotics? As for antibiotics, the goal is to cover group A strep and fusobacterium. Your options are amoxicillin clavulanate at 875 twice a day for 10 days or penicillin VK four times a day with flagyl, and that's for 10 days. 
If you have a penicillin allergy, you can switch to Clinda. And if these patients are PO intolerant, you could try amoxicillin sulbactam IV, three grams times six hours. This looks super painful when I've treated these patients and completed a needle aspiration. What can we do to help these folks out, especially in the long term in terms of pain relief? Ibuprofen provides better pain relief than acetaminophen in pain and fever and pharyngitis, though both are better than placebo and reduce symptoms at 48 hours. Additionally, steroids can reduce adynophasia with one study showing methylprednisolone or dexamethasone reducing pain in adynophasia at 24 hours. So ibuprofen and Tylenol with steroids for pain plus the antibiotics. What complications should we be on the lookout for when it comes to PTA? This is some expensive real estate, so airway obstruction is an immediate life threat in complicated patients. Additionally, aspiration pneumonia may occur following the rupture of the abscess into the airway as well as septicemia. Take proper precautions to limit needle depth and scalpel distance to avoid the dreaded ICA injury. Quincy tonsillectomy is the simultaneous urgent incision and drainage of the abscess followed by immediate tonsillectomy performed by ENT. This urgent operative procedure incurs a higher risk of complications such as bleeding, which occurs up to 7% of patients, or aspiration of abscess contents. ENT performs this procedure due to significant upper airway obstruction, severe recurrent pharyngitis or PTA, or failure of abscess to resolve after needle aspiration and or IND. You guys can't see me, but in the background right now, I'm kind of cringing when I'm thinking about people aspirating their abscess contents. Rachel, we've drained the abscess, the antibiotics are started. What's next for us? Patients discharged from the ED should be seen for follow-up within 24 to 36 hours and given 10 days of antibiotics. Strict return precautions include continued or worsening dyspnea, fever, worsening neck or throat pain, trismus, bleeding, or an enlarging peritonsillar mass. Additionally, lack of improvement in symptoms within 24 hours following drainage and antibiotics should prompt reevaluation or further surgical intervention along with broadening of antibiotic therapy or redrainage. Patients admitted to the hospital, either for complications or quincy tonsillectomy, require follow-up within several days following discharge. ICU admission may be warranted in immunocompromised patients, high risk of airway compromise, or those with sepsis. Rachel, thanks for the great work, and thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm going to try and summarize some key take-home points for our listeners. First, patients with PTA can present with a variety of different symptoms, most commonly sore throat. You may also see a patient with difficulty tolerating secretions, maybe trismus, and even a change in voice. Keep in mind that only two-thirds of patients with a PTA have trismus, so don't use the lack of trismus to exclude the diagnosis. While PTA is typically a clinical diagnosis, there might be some more subtle cases, and imaging can help you with ultrasound or CT. Treatment includes symptom management, antibiotics, and some form of drainage. Make sure to provide NSAIDs, acetaminophen, and even steroids. This can really help reduce the inflammation and the patient's pain. When it comes to drainage, you have two different options. You can perform an incision and drainage or a needle aspiration. If you're going to use a needle aspiration to improve your access and your dexterity, use a spinal needle with or without an IV extension tubing set and dynamic ultrasound guidance. Cut the needle cap off 1.5 centimeters to prevent accidental carotid puncture. With an 11 blade, you can use an incrementally retractable cover for the same purpose, maybe with tape. Once you've obtained adequate drainage, the patient's pain is under control, they're able to tolerate secretions, they're feeling better, then the patient can be discharged with follow-up. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.